0: We're continuing in Mark chapter 10. Jesus hits home again, or close to home again in this passage. We're doing 13 through 16 this morning. This, of course, takes place while uh, Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem from Galilee. We don't know where this takes place uh, on that journey, Um, and that's really not What's important this morning. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Father, according to the riches of your glory, grant that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit and in our innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Accomplish this, then, through the reading and preaching of your word. Amen. Well, we had some friends adopt not too long ago. Uh, They hadn't been able to have any children of their own, and kind of out of the blue, they'd been looking, but uh, they hadn't adopted. And all of a sudden, they adopted. And so the other day, they celebrated 100 days of being parents. And there was the part of me that wanted to put on their Facebook post, there's only 6,000 more to go. (laughs) I refrained from that action. (laughs) Parenting is not easy. It's a lengthy process. It it actually doesn't stop uh, when they leave the house. It doesn't stop when they get married, as my wife reminded her parents who thought that they were done with parenting now that she finally, the last in line, so to speak, had gotten married. Parenting continues. And Jesus, in a way, is addressing the reality of parenting with, as it connects to, intersects with, discipleship. But he also connects all of this to the kingdom. And so we probably ought to listen. What does Jesus say about children and the kingdom in this text? And so uh, circumstances here allow Jesus uh, to teach his disciples about children not necessarily how to parent, but about children in general, as well as about the kingdom and discipleship. And this occasion, this circumstance, is that the crowds, various people, were bringing children to him in order that he might touch them. This was a fairly common practice. Uh, people would often bring their they children to the rabbi or to the priest in and, and order that the, the rabbi or the priest would place a blessing upon the child. Children, the word that's used here, can mean anything from and is used to refer to anything from a baby all the way up until uh, a 12-year-old who has not yet come of age. Uh, but we see from the parallel text in Luke 18 that, you know, sometimes when you say children, people say, well, no infants. Well, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. We see that, as I said, from Luke chapter 18, the parallel text. They want Jesus, uh, viewing him at the very least as a rabbi, to bless their children. Okay. To, to place some spiritual blessing upon them through the laying on of hands. And we see that practice of laying on of hands as early as, as uh, when <clears throat> Isaac is laying hands on and pronouncing the blessing upon Isaac, whom of course, not Isaac, uh, upon Jacob, who he thinks is Esau, and then later on when Jacob is about to die, laying hands and pronouncing blessings upon his 12 sons. This is similar to that. But there's a problem that emerges, and the problem is that the disciples rebuked them. They chastised them. They corrected them. They found fault with these parents and they expressed that fault verbally. We don't know what the fault was. We don't know why they were upset. It could be because they thought these people were acting out of superstition. It could be that they think that kids didn't matter enough to be bothering the rabbi. It could be that they were slowing down the trip on the way to Jerusalem and they weren't sure they were going to get there in time. And so I think of a Christmas story. It's not too long ago that we went through Christmas. But I think that's that part of the Christmas story when, when Ralphie and his brother are in line to see Santa and the store's about to close and the elves and Santa are in a big rush. And you know, Santa's like, if he thinks I'm working one minute past nine o'clock, he's got another thing coming. And you know, as the kids are coming up, you have the the, the elves, come on, kid, let's go going. store's gotta close. That's the disciples. That's the picture I have of the disciples. Right? What are you doing bringing these kids? We've got to get to Jerusalem. We've got a schedule to meet. So I'm not sure which of it is, but I, I, I lean in that direction as well as the idea that perhaps they thought that children were not worthy of the touch of Jesus. Because in that day and in that time, the children had no status. They were seen as being of not all that great import, except hopefully they made it to age and then they could be an heir. But you're really not sure in an age of uh, high infant mortality rates. But when Jesus sees this, Mark lets us know that Jesus was indignant. Jesus was angry with his disciples, not with the parents, with the disciples. And, but like the disciples, Jesus verbalizes his anger with them. In other words, what we should recognize here is that Jesus did not simply let this be overlooked, but he thought it was serious enough and important enough to address it right there, right then, to his disciples. Because this is a problem that could set a very bad precedent. For their interaction with people and their children. And so Jesus says to them as part of his instruction he didn't just say don't do that but he says let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus is placing value upon children. Children that Other people weren't placing value upon. They mattered to Jesus. They mattered to Jesus enough that he was willing to slow down the the trip to Jerusalem in order to minister to these children. And Jesus reminds them that they should not put obstacles in the way of the children. That's the idea of do not hindering, do not refuse them, do not prevent them, do not set up roadblocks that get in the way of the children coming to Jesus. Why would he say this? Why would it be so important that they not hinder them or put roadblocks in front of them? Because he tells them two things. The first is, to such belong the kingdom of God. And then he also says, If you do not receive the kingdom of God like a child, you shall not enter. He's not talking about innocence with regard to children. He's talking, again, I think, about the status. We have to see this not with the eyes of uh, 21st century uh, Americans. We have to see this with the eyes of a 1st century Palestinian or uh, Jew who lived in Palestine. and recognize that you come as people without status, without worth in terms of the society and the culture, but value with regard to God. The kingdom is for those who have nothing to stand on on their own, they have no reputation within the community. They have no wealth that they have achieved. There's no great accomplishment that they have done. They simply exist, breathe, eat their parents' food, and wear out the clothing that they've been given. Kids, Jesus displays this by embracing these children, not simply kind of walking them, walking down the aisle and touching one of them on the head, you know, just kind of doing this thing, okay? But the idea is that he embraces them, takes them to himself, shows them affection, warmth, lays hands on them, and blesses them. In other words... Jesus made time for those kids to communicate their value not simply to him but also to the kingdom. And I want to remind you, or maybe this is new to some of you, I don't know. But this indicates or ought to indicate to us that Jesus makes time for all who come to him, regardless of age. So we were talking a a little bit this morning in Sunday school about why we don't go to Jesus, and sometimes one of the reasons we don't go to Jesus is we think that, he doesn't have time for me. And here we see Jesus making time for those that everyone else thought weren't worth the time. So don't let your measure of yourself determine whether or not Jesus is going to welcome you. Make time for you. Embrace you. But recognize what he does. And so Jesus welcomes children and those like them into the kingdom. But what does this mean for us 2,000 years later? Well, when you look at the commentaries, you find someone like John Calvin launching into infant baptism. You see other commentators going, it's crazy to think about infant baptism. And uh, to the latter of those two, I would go, you're right, to a point. This text is not about infant baptism. But to say that this text has nothing to say about infant baptism is erroneous, I would say. Precisely because this text contains the fundamental uh, principles upon which our practice of infant baptism is grounded. In other words, what's going on here, who is Jesus blessing? Children. According to Luke, who are some of those children? Infants. Is he blessing them on the basis of their faith? There's no indication in the text, particularly in the case of the infants. He's blessing infants who aren't believing. Okay? And so, yeah, he's not baptizing them. But we see that Jesus is, is laying hands on them and blessing these children because these parents are bringing the children. And so Jesus is affirming that Old Testament principle with regard to the covenants, you and your offspring, or you and your seed. What we find in Genesis 17, for instance, uh, the, the covenant with Abraham, all right? And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations in an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So it's hard for me anyway to not see this as Jesus living out that reality that we see in Genesis 17. This covenant is not just for the parents, but also for their offspring. We see this emphasized again in Deuteronomy 30 because some people might think that Genesis 17 doesn't have to do with salvation, but here we have in Deuteronomy 30, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live clearly about salvation. It's about the circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the heart promised to you and your offspring. We see this as well, Isaiah 59, with regard to the the new covenant that's coming. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring. Or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forever more. So we see that Christ is extending and giving the kingdom to these children who have little or no faith at the moment, but it will blossom into faith in the future. That seems to be what's going on here. What's also going on here is that we ought to recognize that God's design for marriage is not simply for children, but for holy children. That's why we read from uh, Malachi chapter 2 this morning. What does God desire? Holy children or godly children. Children who are brought to salvation, or brought to the fountain of salvation. Children who are nurtured in faith, or rather I should say, nurtured in the faith, so they come to faith. And then we shoot them like arrows into the world. They're able to stand with us at the city gate, as we see in Psalm 127 to defend us against our enemies. We see this principle played out in 1 Corinthians 7. All of this stuff brought together there in 1 Corinthians 7. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. That doesn't mean saved. okay, But he's sanctified in the sense of he's clean to come to worship. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, here's the rub. Your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. The child of a believing parent is considered holy or clean and welcome in the presence of God. That's one of the covenant promises. Given all the way back to Abraham, but never revoked by the Lord. And so children matter in the kingdom. Children matter to the kingdom. They may not look impressive right now, but they will grow into responsibility as they mature in their faith. One of my friends, of events that are going on in our country right now as uh, you know said on Facebook recently uh, this is one of the reasons why I didn't want to have kids now they have two kids but uh, they, they, and this is a an argument that stretches back to at least before all in the family for some of you who are familiar with that show I mean I haven't seen it in years but I remember so much of all in the family the meathead didn't want to have a child because of how bad the world was. Well, here's the memo. The world since the fall of Adam has always been bad. There has been no golden age in which you could feel comfortable bringing a child into this world. Bringing a child into this world is a statement of faith. It must be. Faith that God will redeem this child through Jesus Christ, but also faith that God will use this child for the salvation of others, through the communication of that grace when you send them into the world. But meathead does not believe in the promises of God. So of course he thinks that it's a bad time to bring children in the world. But you, my brothers and sisters, believe in the promises of God. There's no bad time to bring a child into this world. What do you also see here? What else about the so what? Well, the disciples once again appear in a, shall we say, less than positive light in this portion of Mark's Gospel. They seem to be reflecting the values of Rome more than the values of God's kingdom because they're viewing these children as Rome views these children, not as God views these children. I want to remind you We all stumble in many ways. James reminds us of that in the third chapter of his letter. And as a result of that, both their stumbling and our stumbling, we are too quick to jump on other Christians. And so uh, this uh, past Monday, uh, I shared this in our session meeting and Part of my frustration, Tim Tebow, has uh, done a, a little campaign, okay, to promote family worship, and so here he is, is, is one of the pictures from that campaign, and he's with his wife, and uh, they're trying to encourage people to read their Bibles and pray together. That's all good, okay. Well, one of the guys on the PCA elders' site decided to put a different picture of this, which is kind of a eh kind of picture, but still. Don't care. And starts criticizing Tim Tebow. I'm just like, what? And so my one sentence comment was, why do we feel like we have to jump on everybody all the time? Tim Tebow wasn't doing anything wrong. He's trying to do something good. And my one comment started this other little thread. I, can't, I lost track of how many com- Guys bickering about this. <laughs> and so I kind of ended it with, Lord have mercy on us. That's reflective of the mentality of the disciples. Finding fault in everybody. Let Tim Tebow alone. We don't have to pick fun of we don't you know, make fun of him or criticize him because he didn't do it the way we do it. There's a self righteousness that runs deep within us all that we need to be leery of and conscious of and repentant of. We have to remember from what Jesus said about the kingdom here that it is not for the self-qualified, which we can understand as the self-righteous. But it is for those who have no qualifications in and of themselves. The kingdom belongs to, the kingdom is received by those who recognize their need. It's interesting as I uh, reading this book about Augustine and talking about his pastoral ministry how things never change <laughs> because part of the values of Rome were very prevalent within the church or the congregation to which he ministered in the, the city of Hippo in North Africa most of the men thought well, that's okay for the women we don't need that kind of stuff. We have status. Women didn't have status. Women and children, no status. Men, we have status. We don't need church. He dealt with that same thing. That it takes a slightly different form in America, uh, but there it is. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The kingdom is for those who recognize they bring nothing to the table. Christ is the one who redeems us. The Father qualifies us for entrance into the kingdom on the basis of what his Son has done for us, both in his active obedience to the law of God as well as his passive suffering, the consequences of sin upon the cross anyone who is who enters into the kingdom enters on the basis of Jesus and not on the basis of themselves everyone regardless of how old they may be it's always Christ we see the graciousness of the kingdom here in that very thing because this kingdom is given to children <laughs> but it's also given to sheep Remember, Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock. And I'm using sheep metaphorically, obviously. But Jesus says that for, for a reason. Little flock. What can sheep do to, grant, to merit entrance into anything? <laughs> Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the kingdom 's a gift, not a reward. as we think about the kingdom, we deal with some of these already not yet realities you 've got a, for those of you who have the sermon handout, it should be in there, but we 've got this little chart. And it's the reality of the already and the not yet, and I can't really go over there because we don't have the camera that pans yet. Um, but we live between the already and the not yet. There are some things that we already possess in the kingdom, and things that are waiting the return of Jesus. So there's an overlap in time. We we live in. Two ages. We live in the age to come as well as this current age. And the reality of the already is you have the righteousness of Christ. You are positionally holy. In the age to come, you will also be personally holy because your purification will be complete. Your sanctification will be finished and you shall be glorified being like Jesus. There'll be no more work that has to be done on you, but you haven't already gotten there yet. And just as you haven't gotten there yet, no one else in the room has gotten there yet. And that points to the need for us to be more about reminding each other of the gospel and less about pointing the finger at each other. Reminding each other of the gospel does not mean you don't talk about sin, but you talk about it within the context of the mercies of God in Christ Jesus to encourage people to repent rather than condemning them for their sin. Do you understand the difference? How you speak to someone about their sin does matter. When we speak to them about their sin in our anger, we exclude Jesus from the equation. Don't we? But in our saner moments, when we speak about another person's sin, we ought to be pointing them to Jesus. Yes, you've done this, but there's forgiveness in Christ for those who believe. Now's a great time to repent. And so we see that the kingdom belongs to us by grace alone. Well, how do we keep the gospel central to the kingdom? And I guess we would say, how do we keep the gospel central to parenting? Okay. Again, baptism isn't the point. Baptism is only the beginning of bringing a child to Jesus. But it has to take place, That all of that takes place uh, within the context of the gospel which God uses to restore our hearts to our children. Let's go back to Malachi for a second. Not chapter 2, but chapter 4. When Malachi is talking about the one who's going to come, the forerunner, okay? I will send you, Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so part of what we see the gospel producing is dads and moms, caring about their children, uh, not just that they get a good job and have good relationships, but also uh, caring about their children uh, that they have a primary relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this also produces children who have a heart for their parents. And so we have to recognize that the gospel, rightly understood, means that we don't just love God, but we love our neighbor as ourselves, and some of the important neighbors would be our kids. The gospel also reminds us that Jesus will rebuke us, that we we would repent when our hearts are not towards our children the way they ought to be, which unfortunately is probably more often than we want to admit. When we get to the New Testament... From Ephesians 5, we see the, the recognition that we have the Holy Spirit, uh, therefore, we can redeem the time, uh, therefore, we can speak the truth of the word to, to one another, and that includes our children. And so, that takes fruition in what we find in Ephesians 6 4, bringing up children and the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And so, discipleship with regard to parenting is, is not exhausted by. I made babies, but instructing those children. Helping them to know the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so age-appropriate instruction, trying to explain the gospel in a way they can get it at their age in intellectual development. Providing them opportunities to serve Providing them with age-appropriate expectations as well. And here's, there's an important aspect to this that we often don't think about. The gospel that we really believe in, the one that we live out, is the one that we're going to communicate to our kids. And if we believe in, the, in a corrupted gospel, guess what we're going to teach to our children? And so if we really believe in in a a merit-based kingdom, if we think that it's our performance, what are we going to teach our children? If you perform well, you will receive recognition and love. But if you don't, you won't. That's, that's exactly what you're going to do. Whatever gospel you believe in is the one you're going to, to inevitably communicate to your kids. And so you might be pointing to them in the wrong direction. Paul also warns there in Ephesians 6, four not to exasperate your children, and that's one of the roadblocks that we put up in a variety of ways we often exasperate our children. We can put up unclear boundaries, changing boundaries. We can try to produce cookie-cutter kids. It was interesting. We we Zoomed with my dad yesterday for the first time. He got a new computer recently, so now he can actually do this. And uh, he decided he wanted to do this. And, and one of the things, I'm not sure if my children caught this in the discussion, because he wanted to see the kids. That was just good. He talked about how uh, hard it was to raise me and my two brothers because all three of us were so very different. None of us was alike. We were all motivated by different things, had different personalities, had different gifts and different abilities and different weaknesses and And uh, that's the way it is for every family. We often don't see it. So you can't really take a cookie-cutter approach to raising your children. But we also hinder our children with the roadblock of our impatience, of our personal agendas that indicate that there is no time for you right now. As I look back on the, the earlier years, uh, with Bible study fellowship uh, happening in our house, and and uh, you know, Amy, from my perspective, kept dumping that on me. She's a busy woman too. But sometimes I would get into this mindset. And this is a me thing. This is not an Amy thing. You know, where it's just I'm tired. I don't want to be doing this right now. I want to be zoning out in front of some sports or, or some show on TV. You know? And that impatience inevitably gets communicated to the children in the form of either you're not important or this is not important. And as a pastor, I have created unknowingly roadblocks for my kids. So one of the ways that you the, well the way you take down the roadblock is confession and repentance. In other words, they need to see the gospel at work in you to such an extent that you can say "I was wrong." that you can say "I." overreacted, that you could say, I did the wrong thing. In other words, your children know you're a sinner, (laughs) but they need to know you know you're a sinner. That your only hope in life and death is Christ and him crucified. And one of the ways we preach the gospel to our children is by showing our need for that gospel by owning up to the ways in which we've gotten it wrong. We hinder them when we play favorites in the church. What's interesting is that James warns of that in his discussion of the church in James 2. James warned particularly about favoring the rich. He's like, why are you giving them the best seats in the house while you put the poor on the floor? Don't you recognize it's the rich who are taking you to court? Is what James says. did not want there to be partiality in the household of God. We should recognize as well that in order to embrace, we must know we're embraced. Embraced by Jesus, we embrace other people As image bearers and objects of redemption. That we don't simply embrace them for what they can offer us. That's really where Jesus gets at with this speaking of the kingdom and children. Our society, unfortunately, values and devalues people based on their causes, based on their candidates, based on their uh, car preferences, uh, based on any number of things. That's not the kingdom. That's the fallen kingdom. The kingdom of God is all about Jesus. And for those who are united to Christ by faith, he is what matters. And so we embrace those who have previously been embraced by Jesus. As Paul says in Romans, accept one another, as God has accepted you meaning in Christ not because of the zip code or the size of the house or kind of house well you know them people they kinda, they live in a trailer park you know what it's like in a trailer park I'm more saying but other people not you guys But you see how we automatically categorize people? And Jesus says, be done with it. Because it's all about him. Accept one another as he has accepted you by grace. Now, One of the things the the roadblocks we put up the the is, is our tendency toward pride, which really ought to humble us when we stop and realize how arrogant we often are, and how it expresses itself. Our our pride is pervasive. Our pride is persistent. It keeps rearing its ugly head. It's like playing a game of whack-a-mole. Every time you think you got it, it pops up over here and over here and over here. It's kind of interesting, you know. Suddenly in the news, there's all these athletes who, who want to run their teams. They want to they say in who the general manager is. Uh, they want to say, they say in who their teammates are going to be. And it's like, you're only going to be here a while. You don't own the team. You're an employee. Imagine for a moment... I'll pick on Paul. I was, gonna, I was gonna pick on Rick, but I'll pick on Paul. Okay. Paul saying I want to say. Well well I deserve a say. And who the new football coach is gonna be. For the for the U of A. Or if the president of the U of A you know leaves for one reason or another. I deserve a say in who becomes the president of this institution. And yet, that's what pride does. That's what pride produces. And the pride has to continually be brought back to the cross in repentance. Remove the roadblock for the faith of children, for your own faith. And so live by the grace given to you in order to give it to others. So, so the life of discipleship includes, uh, uh, for many people anyway, the process of bringing children to Jesus. Not simply getting them out of the house at age 18 or 25, as the case may be, Um, Jesus values children, particularly the children of believers, as we find in the covenant. He values them as, as people who are made in his image as well as people who are objects of redemption. How we parent should include the positive instruction, in the gospel, in life, as well as repenting of the roadblocks that we sinfully put up in front of them. But this isn't just about kids. It's, it's really about the character of the kingdom. It's a kingdom that isn't earned, but one that's freely given by God to the undeserving So may this humble and encourage us, because we can't lose what we didn't earn. So our big idea, which you have not on your notes if you're one of those people who follows in the notes, Jesus reveals the gracious basis for kingdom living. Jesus reveals the gracious basis for kingdom living. So let's pray. Father, we've all been kids, and some of us still are kids. Um, and some of us have kids. Some of us want to have kids. Father, this notion of these parents bringing their kids to you is an important one for us to grasp in scripture, your welcoming of uh, these children as a picture, not just of the welcoming of the children, but the character of the kingdom. Fix our eyes so that we can see this properly. Fix our hearts so that we can embrace this, communicate this, live this. Help us to really believe that the kingdom is like this, so that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, in part, in joy at being citizens of this kingdom. Help us to rest secure in this kingdom because we recognize that Christ is the only one who gets us in and keeps us in all our days. And transform our hearts through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.